You're listening to Sons of Thunder, a podcast that brings you faith, fellowship, and fire, giving you the spiritual weapons you need to do battle for the Lord. And now, please welcome your hosts, the Dynamic Deacon and the Man on Fire. Welcome back to another episode of Sons of Thunder. I am your co-host, the man on fire, and your eyes do not deceive you. This is the dynamic one sitting next to me (laughs) in the home studio. They actually allowed both of us to be in the same state at the same time. So um, don't tell Governor Newsom or else he's going to lose his mind. Um, What's up, Deacon? (laughs) How you doing, John? (laughs) Great to be here, man, in the the Sablon uh, studios here. Yeah, in in Modesto. uh, It's awesome, man. Yeah. Great to be here. Good to have you. Uh, Deacon had a had a gig uh, in the uh, Bay Area, so we decided to make a make a little bit of a, a gathering as we work on some other projects together. And why not? Right, the, the, the listeners have not heard from the Sons of Thunder in a hot minute, so they're probably going, "Are they? Are they? Uh, which got them? Which got them? Which did the sun get them or the thunder got them?" <laughs> No, but it's good to have you here. Uh, our family continues to be blessed by your presence and by your friendship. So we appreciate having you here and uh, for uh, the family lending you to us or lending, yeah, you to us for uh, the time being. So yeah, well, thank you, thank you. You know, it's, it's getting to the point. You know, we're I'm not traveling very much. I'm some, you know, but obviously with COVID restricting travel and so. But it got to the point they're like, "When are you leaving again?" <laughs> Exactly. Being home has been great, but sometimes like, okay, maybe you need to be <laughs> gone a little bit here. They're, over there trying to, they're probably your biggest marketers right now. They're like, yeah. you know, there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this preacher I know that could probably go. He, we'll do it for free. We'll do it for free. We just need to get him out there. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's been nice uh, um, to be home. And, uh, you know, just recently my daughter graduated from college, you know, virtually, mm-hmm. you know, so... <laughs> But uh, it, it's, I mean, it's a shame in the sense that, you know, the last year and a half of her experience has been home. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have the normal experience that a lot of college students have, the dorm life and friends and oh, yeah. the engagement and activities and all that. So uh, and, and to see her graduate with her name and picture going across the screen, just uh, it's kind of very anticlimactic way oh, yeah. to end. You know, and my other daughter is supposed to go overseas and obviously she was home for the year and. The twins graduating from high school again virtually, and it's just been uh, a very, very interesting, very trying time for families in general, Mm -hmm. you know, including mine as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate because we do see, you know, a big casualty of all of this, right, is is the youth in our lives, in our families, in our communities not being able to, um, you know, have some normalcy especially when it comes to their high school their college careers and that experience and so it's just unfortunate and we'll continue to to hold them up in prayer and to try to lift them up um in good spirits uh that you know this too shall pass um just can't pass fast enough yeah tell me about it (laughs) absolutely but glad you're out traveling a little bit more i'm glad we were able to get together you know got a lot of exciting things coming um in in, assuming it's god's will and his plan so we're looking forward to that and in today's uh topic this episode deacon we're going to talk about something that's kind of hot right now it's been hot actually um Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it, it, it's like a hot potato. Nobody wants to touch it for the most part. And, you know, people, I think, are getting um, messages from everywhere, right, inside and outside of the church, definitely from the secular media. media. Um, but it really is around the topic of racism. And uh, both you and I being uh, people who are of ethnic um, background and origin uh, know a little bit about that. And I think, you know, specifically when it comes to um, how we deal with racism today and what's the faithful response, what's the Catholic response to racism? I know it's something that um, we're going to be talking about, something that you have been talking about. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, people have been interested in getting you, whether it be virtually or in person, is to say, how do we approach this topic of racism from a Catholic perspective, um, not just from a perspective in general? So, you know, I'm excited to get into this topic. I think it's uh, obviously uh, relevant and long overdue um, in a lot of different ways. But how we want to kick this off, Deacon? We're talking about racism. Where do we begin? Well, you know, I think a great place to begin is Numbers chapter 12. Um, right at the beginning of that chapter, we see that um, uh, Aaron and Miriam uh, spoke out against Moses because he married a Cushite woman. Mm. Okay, now um, Cushite today would be um, would be uh, uh, in a- in Africa. So he married a black woman. Mm-hmm. All right. So so they were upset with Moses because he married a black woman. Now, um, what was the Lord's response to this attitude? Well, when Moses came out of the the tent. You know, with the Lord, because you know, the, the Shekinah glory cloud came over the tent. Whenever the presence of God was there, the cloud lifted. Moses came out and it says, behold, Miriam was leprous. You know, and so when Aaron looked upon her, he saw that she was leprous. You know, so uh, as white as snow, it says. So um, and when Aaron saw her, he said, oh, you know, oh, he said to Moses, we have sinned, you know, by by saying these things, you know, so so. They recognized right from the beginning this attitude of racism saying that, you know, we don't like you because you married a woman of color, um, you know, was was a sin against God. And God punished that sin. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he goes, you want white? I'll show you white. <laughs> <laughs> Bam, leprosy. You know, um, but moving in, moving into uh, today, um, we see that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said that the way that you overcome racial inequality and, and injustice is through love. And that's what we always have to lead with as people of faith is lead with love. Now, we're not talking about, you know, a groovy kind of love that Phil Collins sung about or or ain't talking about love, Van Halen. You know, but we're talking about um, a, a sacrificial, self-donating, life-giving love, a love that's rooted in covenant intimacy with God. Um, and that kind of approach is from first, also from 1 John 4.16 is God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. Right, so it's mm-hmm. that beautiful exchange of love and life and intimacy and communion. It's when we begin to love uh, and see each other at that level um, that we can begin to to significantly address the issues that are separating and dividing uh, our, our people and our country right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about that because I think it tends to be one of the most divisive issues today. Um, actually, inside and outside of the church. And I, I think, obviously, there's a lot of emotion, not to say that's um, unwarranted or unjustified, but, you know, we as faithful Christians who hope in Christ, who know who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, should be responding in a specific way, right? We can't look like the rest of the world. Um, you know, we, we do realize that it's an issue. But, you know, as we kind of were talking about preparing for this specific episode, 
Deacon, it's important for us to start with definitions and start with distinctions because I think things get lost in translation. Things get lost with regards to people's people's uh, specific agendas or ideologies with regards to this topic. And I think it's causing a lot of unnecessary uh, division, unnecessary angst that doesn't need to be there and actually prevents us from moving forward in a way that is charitable, that is that resolves the issue if there is an issue. So so let's talk about those definitions and those distinctions. Yeah, because you're right, because what's happening now in the culture is everything is, they say everything is racism. Yeah. And it's not. So we have to make a distinction between prejudice and racism. So when we talk about prejudice, we're talking about a preconceived notion, a preconceived conception or idea that's not based on any observable data or, or any factual, um, uh, factual foundation. Um, and, and, and racism is prejudice based on the fact the reason why I'm holding this position is because I believe that my race is superior to your race. Okay, so let me give you a concrete example. Um, back before COVID, when I was speaking at the parish, a uh, parishioner found out that I went to Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame, for my undergraduate degree. And when he saw me, he goes, oh, you went to Notre Dame? What position did you play? Now, that statement was clearly prejudiced, mm-hmm. okay? Because he, the calculus in his mind was big black guy plus Notre, plus Notre Dame equals football, okay? <laughs> that, that was his mind. Yeah. But, but it was not a racist statement. It was prejudiced because it was, it was based on uh, no, no factual foundation, uh, you know, no objective criteria. He just looked at me and said, oh, you must have played football. Um, it it would have been racist if he would have said that statement with the intention of meaning, I'm saying this because I believe that my race is superior to your race and all black people could do is play football. Mm. But that's not what he meant. Mm -hmm. He you see, Mm -hmm. so, so it was a prejudiced statement, but it wasn't a racist statement. What he should have said was, Oh, you went to Notre Dame. What did you study? Mm. Because that's what he would have asked anybody else. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So, so we, 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 we have to be careful of making the distinction between prejudice and racism. Now, um, we, that this also leads us then to make a distinction with systemic racism or institutional racism, which I'm, I'm using those um, uh, uh, interchangeably. Interchangeably, yeah. yeah. So, so one, is, one is the same as the other, um, as opposed to individuals within institutions. So, for example, um, the United States, of course, back in the day, slavery, Jim Crow, that was, it was, it was no doubt it was a racist institution. I mean, because it was woven into the very laws, into the very fabric, into the very ethos and culture of the United States back at that time. Um, but you, so you have to make a distinction between that and, and um, uh, individuals that are racist. So, for example, you can't say today that the United States government is race a racist institution why because unlike the past there are now civil rights laws there are now anti-discrimination laws there are all kinds of things to prevent what happened in the past from ever happening again mm-hmm. okay so yes was it a race there's no question about it but you can't say that now but there are still individuals within the institution that are racist mm-hmm. you see so we make a distinction again another example the church yeah the church was founded by Jesus Christ, who is God. 
So the church is the spotless bride of Christ. The church can't be racist by its very nature. Mm -hmm. It can't be because it's the perfect bride by Christ. But there are individuals in the church who have racist attitudes. You see? You see? Yeah. So, so there's a distinction between systemic or institutional racism and individuals who are racist within institutions. Yeah, I mean, great point to call that out because I think, again, going back to my point earlier about it being confused and uh, muddied out there, especially for those who, um, who have good intentions, who really see an injustice that they want justice to be uh, served and they want to call out injustice um, that they're seeing out there but i think we're losing the ability to rationally think and critically um, uh, analyze these things like you're saying words do matter right when we make blanket statements uh, like systemic or institutionalized i mean you're throwing a lot of people underneath that umbrella and making assumptions that um, you really can't make uh, if you don't know that person you know that, that argument that you made uh, with regards to the the, the parishioner uh, asking what position did you play now if you knew his heart and you knew his mind and you knew that he was making that statement as a racist statement that's one thing could somebody take that as racist sure yeah sure you could take that as racist um could you uh, insert inject project onto that racism sure you can in a lot of different ways i think we all probably encounter um prejudice more often than racism yeah um, but and and so it's difficult to be able to uh i guess decipher which is which and i think that's so key and in trying to just kind of deal with this having the hard conversation that needs to be had recognizing historically that yeah there was stuff that was actually woven into the institution that um enabled allowed and promoted such things like racism well, let's be honest john even in the church oh yeah let's be real yeah you know it was interesting when you look at the history of the catholic church of the united states you notice that um the Vatican had always outlawed slavery. Very strong statements by popes over the centuries against uh, Catholics having anything to do with slavery. But yet, in the United States, they ignored what the Pope said. They ignored what, what Rome said. Mm -hmm. And there were bishops that, held, that had slaves. There were priests that had slaves. There were religious orders that had slaves, including the Jesuits. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that came out not too long ago because there was a nun who was doing Ph.D., research at Georgetown and found actually slaves that were owned by the, the Jesuits, right? Wow, yeah. And so what the Jesuits did was they, I guess they tracked down some of the descendants of those families and offered them scholarships to go to the school to Georgetown for free, you know, as, as kind of reparation for what happened in the past. And so we, we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that there were uh, Catholic slave owners who baptized their slaves as Catholics and then twisted the scriptures and distorted the scriptures to uh, to justify enslaving them, mm. uh, you know, which was totally because when St. Paul uses the word slavery, he's not talking about chattel slavery like what happened back in Exodus mm -hmm. when, when the Egyptians enslaved the, the Israelites. That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about indentured servitude. If you look in the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, we saw that and here's the background. There were people who were desperately poor who were having children and could not literally uh, afford to take care of those kids. They, they would starve to death. And so rather than have the children die, they would give the children over to service of a, of a, a wealthier family. So that child would become uh, an indentured servant of this family. Now, in that situation, that person had rights. 
they if they were abused, they could take the person to court. In fact, it lays out very clearly in the scriptures the procedure for dealing with someone. And plus, they were released every, they could only be held for seven years because every jubilee year, every seven years, they were released. All the slaves were released. In fact, they could even become members of the family with inheritance rights. Mm -hmm. That's not the same thing as chattel slavery. You see? So when Paul used the word slaves, be obedient to your masters, he's talking about indentured servitude, not the institution of chattel slavery. But the slaves owners twisted that. And of course they didn't want they didn't teach them how to read because knowledge is power. Yeah. And if they learned the truth, you see, then it would be rebellion. They they, they would ruin the slave owner's way of life. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So so you gotta understand there was some insidious things going on there. Even, again, we're talking about the church here. We're, we have to separate the Vatican and their efforts because look at Father Tolton. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, every seminary in the United States rejected him because he was black, but the Vatican took him and trained him to be a priest. Mm -hmm. You see? So, so we see some of that inequity even within, within the life of the church. Again, because there's individuals yeah. within the church who have uh, racial injustice and prejudice uh, and even racist attitudes. Yeah. No, I mean, those are very great points to be able to, to call out and to draw those lines for the listeners out there because I think they're trying to wrap their minds around it. You know, like I said, when you have good intentions, you see an injustice, you want to help out, but you got to do that in a way that still, um, for one, again, is is aligned with the reality of what we're dealing with, calling a spade a spade, making sure that we are calling out the sins of uh, those individuals within the church or within the secular world or within the government, the institution. Um, but making sure that we're very clear on the accountability, the responsibility, and in particular in this episode, the path forward. Yeah. Cause I think that's, you know, that's the key right now. Um, you know, we just, we've been going through a lot as, as a world, but definitely as a country, um, you and I live in some very contentious states when it comes to a lot of different things. And and I think our listeners out there need some sign of hope because they do realize that there's blemishes within within the church walls. Um, we see, I mean, if they need any more proof of original sin, right? Um, and you just got to look out into the world and just see how broken, how divided, how divisive, how confused, chaotic everything is. And it just feels overwhelming at times. Matter of fact, we know that mental health we both have family members that are in that field as as just uh, the need for mental health services has gone up and increased because of the anxiety the stress the depression you name it um that's going up during these most dark and difficult times so let's 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 pivot from that deacon from acknowledging all of that uh distinguishing between the the definitions of what really is racism versus prejudice what's institutionalized versus individualized to the path forward we yeah. as faithful catholics who love God, who love our church, who love our fellow brother and sister in Christ, regardless of color, regardless of background, regardless of, of ethnicity, we want them to know God. Yes. So how do we move forward? Well, I, I think that's a, a very important point that you make. And why are we talking about a Catholic response, a Catholic way forward? Mm -hmm. Because if we, if we look at what's happening now in our culture, why are we seeing rioting and looting and violence and all those kinds of things? Uh, because we have to rise up against this, you know, but destroying someone who invested their life savings into a business with, with the goal of providing for their family and being a, um, an, an active, engaged member of, of helping to build up the community, you know, and destroying that person's business when they had nothing to do with what's going on. 
what 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 point is that is being yeah. made there? And, and see, here's the thing. And why is that? Why are all these dissensions happening? Even pitting white people against people of color, mm-hmm. they make you feel guilty for feel, for being white. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, which is ridiculous. So 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 why isn't it working? Here's why. Back in the day, in the fifties and sixties, there was Martin Luther King. There was Nelson Mandela in South Africa. There was Gandhi in India. These were people that that cut through uh, the divisions of uh, conservative and liberal, uh, that cut through uh, white and black. That 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 you know that, that they could people could rally around and say this person gets it. They cut through all the pejorative rhetoric. They cut through all of the 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 the, the, the tension and said this person here's someone that really understands this issue. Here's someone we can rally around. Here's someone we can support. Here's someone who's going to bring us together and unite us, at least work towards that. Yeah. The problem is we have no one like that in our, in our country right now. No one. So what we have is we have a bunch of organizations and individuals with agendas which have nothing to do with, with dealing with the problem of race that are trying to bring these other agendas into play and and really they're doing nothing to bring people together. In fact, they're making the situation even worse. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing now. Why do I say a Catholic way forward? Because we as Catholics, in the way we think about the nature of the human person, I think we have a lot to offer. In fact, I think the Catholic Church can take the lead in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're well positioned to do so because of, of, of the way we approach the nature of the human person. So it's not for us. It's not about reparations. It's not about... Um, you know, this program or that program. It's not about, uh, you know, uh, theories of race. It's, it's not about any of that. It's about looking at the dignity of the human person. So the first thing has to be looking at someone standing in front of you and seeing who God sees when he looks at that person. Yeah. You know, I, and I always go back to first Samuel 16 where, um, uh, uh, um, Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king and he, he sees Jesse lines up seven of his eight sons he leaves David outside with the sheep and it's Eliab Abinadab Shema he goes to Eliab Eliab doesn't describe him but he probably looked handsome kingly he goes this guy looks like a king the, go, the Lord points goes he goes to pour, uh, pour the oil of anointing the Lord says nope not him yeah <laughs> Moses I mean Samuel's confused I'm at the right house there's Jesse what's the problem and the Lord says, do not look on the height of his stature. Or, you know, he goes, uh, because I have not chosen him. Um, man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Mm-hmm. And it's leb in Hebrew. And it just doesn't mean an organ in your body. It's the, it's the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. Because that's where God can touch you and change your life is in your heart. So we need to, when we look at someone, we need to see their heart. We need to see what God sees, like what St. Teresa of, Cal- of Calcutta did. Mm. When she saw those people with leprosy and pleurisy and AIDS and the horrific diseases they were dying from, she saw Jesus in that person. Mm-hmm. Right? And, we're, and it's the, the Catholic way of looking. And John Paul II developed this so beautifully over um, the course of his pontificate, helping to develop the dignity of the human person, uh, the foundational principles of Catholic social justice. That's the number one, the number one, right? It, it, you know, um, uh, looking at someone through, through, through God's eyes. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, um, 
it, it, it says the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Yeah. Because they were seeing each other the way God sees them. And that's where we need to start. Because if we don't do that, uh, and I can tell you from experience that, that when you see someone and don't see the person and see a caricature, um, it hurts. Yeah. You know, I, I remember once in Chicago, I was speaking at an event called Holy Fire, which is like um, a focus type of event, except for, for middle school students. There's 5,000 people there. So I, I'm dressed in a suit and a tie, you know, and, and I'm going uh, in from the arena into the hotel to go up to my room. And the only other person in the elevator was this little white lady. So I didn't say anything. I just smiled and nodded my head to acknowledge her. And her eyes got really big as she backed up and grabbed her purse and held it against her body. And I'm like, oh, she's scared. So I didn't say anything. I just I turned around. I, I literally stood right in front of the elevator door, closed right in front of me. I pushed my floor. I didn't turn around, didn't acknowledge her, didn't say anything. Got to my floor and got off. Now, why was she afraid of me? Now, I, I get it. I mean, I was in law enforcement 23 years. I've interviewed rape victims. Mm -hmm. You know, she may have been traumatized. It was experiencing PTSD. I get it. Mm -hmm. Or, let's be real, you're in a confined space with a stranger it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uncomfortable is one thing. Eyes getting big, backing up, grabbing your purse, that's something else. Yeah. You know, because when she saw me, she saw a big black guy, and she got afraid. Yeah. But you know this, John. I'm a big old teddy bear, man. <laughs> I'm a big old teddy bear. But if you look at me and all you see is big, scary black guy, that if that happens to you enough, that hurts, man. Yeah. Because they're not seeing me. Yeah. They're not seeing me. Yeah. You know, and, and when people don't see you, you know, it hurts. Yeah. And I think I think we as Catholics can really begin that process of seeing the person standing in front of us. That's such a great point when you talk about seeing the person. Um, you know, we think about being temples of the Holy Spirit and being made in the image and likeness of God. And I think we're so, especially in today's world with the technology, right, where we're um, just it really exposed to... Um, uh, the lack of communication, right? So we've been kind of uh, numbed and we, we dehumanize, right? We, it's like we're humanizing objects and animals and we're dehumanizing people. And we don't see people, but we see objects. And you see that. You see that in the culture of death. Uh, Pope Francis calls it the, the throwaway culture. We see that with all the things we're dealing with in, in human trafficking. And we see that, like you said, in the very simple interaction um, in the elevator that you, you know, you know, pray for people like that, that, that experience it. And there, like you said, there could be reasons for that, but you're human with a heart, with feelings and with your own set of issues. Right. And so I think, yeah, I think it's unfortunate, but you're right to the point of we as Catholics have the answer because yeah. we have God, mm -hmm. we have God. Um, and I think we all, again, I'm sure many of our listeners and, and I would include any race out there yes has yes. experienced from somebody else who did not see you greet you talk to you speak to you as with the eyes or the thoughts of god but rather as you as x fill in the blank right whether i'm scared of you whether i despise you whether whatever it is um i think all of us can say we've felt that way in some more than others i get it but um it's a human reality because of the brokenness and the woundedness of we as fallen creatures. Yeah, exactly. 
And um, I think another way to draw this out, because I, can't, I get asked by white people, but it's applied to any race, though. So, well, what can I do? You know, I've never experienced those things that, you know, how can, how can I empathize? What can I do? There's a couple of times. I think um, sitting down and having significant and serious dialogue yeah. where you're empathizing with people. Here's what I mean. Back in, um, oh, it must have been 2016 or 2017, there was some racial unrest between um, the police officers and, and um, black uh, African American into black individuals in, in Los Angeles, and so Snoop Dogg, the rapper, and another rapper called um, The Game, got together with the mayor of Los Angeles and the police chief to sit down and dialogue. Instead of protests and destroy stuff, let's talk about why this is happening. What can we do to really make some effective change here? Mm-hmm. And when you sit down and you dialogue, and there's a there's a mutual respect. And there's an understanding, and there's a sympathy, and there's an empathy there, mm-hmm. you know. And and you're, you know, and, and so and so. Be yourself. Well, how can I connect when I haven't had that experience? I said, hold on, you may be white, right? But maybe you were the kid that had, uh, that had glasses. They were called you four-eyed freak. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were the fat kid in your class. Maybe your family was poor. You know, maybe you. There's something that you could connect with. You know what? I don't know what it's like to be black or experience that, but you know what? I know what it's like to be mocked because my family's poor. Yeah. I know what it's like to be an immigrant. To yeah. this guy. You know, you know who, a great example? Eddie Van Halen. Mm. You know, I, now, I had known Eddie Van Halen only as a guitar player. I don't know a lot about his personal background. I knew he was an immigrant. When he came to this country, him and his brother Alex and his parents, his father Jan was a, was a professional musician, came to the United States. He could hardly speak English. So when he got to, he went, started going to school, he was mocked and made fun of by the other white students. He said his very first friends were the black students, mm. were the black kids, because they say, we know what it's like when people make fun of you. And so his very first kids in school were the black. I said, I never knew that about Van, Eddie Van Allen. Wow. I said, wow, because see, because they made the connection, the black, but I, we're, we understand what it's like, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you're, you're brothers with us now. Yeah. You see? So even though you're white, you may not have the experience of a black person or Hispanic person or Asian person, there's you can at least begin that dialogue and next by saying, you know, I know what it's like when someone makes fun of your accent. I know what it's like when you, you know, when you're a little heavier than someone or or in your family, whatever, you can make that connection. And that's where you start the dialogue. Yeah. That's where you start the dialogue. And another piece, I'd rather have someone come to me and say, you know what, Deacon? For some reason, I'm scared of black people. I'm scared of Hispanic people. I'm scared of Asian people. I don't know why. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. But so I just get nervous when I'm around. I, can we talk about that? I, I would love that because that yeah. is an honest assessment of self mm-hmm. and recognizing that we are, are all of us are still dealing with the effects of original sin. Yeah. And want to have an honest discussion about how can we get past this? Yeah. See, it's the, that's the Catholic way forward, man. Yeah. That's the Catholic way forward. Well, and, you're, and what you're describing is just like we're doing now. We're sitting next to each other. We're dialoguing. We're looking each other in the eye so we see beyond whatever prejudices you may have um, and see the person. So that's the thing is when we sit down and talk and we dialogue and we have a conversation, we get beyond all of these categories and these labels and this identity politics or whatever it may be and you engage with the individual right in front of you because everybody has their own unique story everybody has their own brokenness everybody has their own um their their own blind spots their own issues that they're working through so 
why not give people the opportunity? Even if you emphatically disagree, you can do so respectfully. You can do so and just realize, and I think, you know, we're all, I'm growing in this, is trying to see the real issue that underlies the reaction, right? We see, we see some of these reactions and they're just so uh, incongruent to the incident, right? And then you see, you don't get the same reaction when you see more grave issues that are occurring out there in the world. Um, and I think that's the unfortunate thing about all of this is when people are being, their emotions are being toyed with and being played with and, and that good intention or that desire for perfect justice, you know, that's one of the things that we get from God, right? Is that desire for perfect justice. So we know injustice when it happens, right? But that, that natural desire to want to see that and then somebody takes it and plays it for their own agenda. And I think that's a sad thing about it is that we've taken the person out of this whole conversation, um, even though people will try to make it look like it's about this person. Um, and, and really we're saying, well, 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 really, let's get back to the fundamental piece that you know christian anthropology right being made in the image of likeness of god knowing that that person um is a gift to us mm. at that point right seeing the person as a gift even though they don't feel like it even though they're acting <laughs> like right. it yeah. right you're like i gotta give that gift back right i'm like can we get <laughs> where's the return policy we got a refund policy up in here <laughs> but <laughs> but but that's the part is like we yeah. just seeing one another as gifts to each other mm-hmm. on this side of heaven yeah. On this side of heaven, okay, I got to see this and lead this person to, uh, you know, a greater version of themselves, which is ultimately to be Christ-like anyway. Yeah, absolutely, and it, and it's it's not just an individual responsibility because in um, uh, reconciliatio et penitentiae, reconciliation and penance, John Paul II's beautiful encyclical on the nature of sin. He talks about there's individual sin, but there's also social sin. Yeah, right. So we could also work at this at the parish level. So, for example, uh, in my parish, I got to Immaculate Heart, very culturally diverse parish in Portland. We have Vietnamese, we have uh, Filipinos, we have Africans, we have Europeans, we have all kinds of folks. But I noticed people weren't, when I first got there, weren't mixing very well together. People were kind of living in silos. Mm. So what we did to break down those silos, you know, we started some um, cross-pollinization, as I called it. So we would have the African choir go to the Vietnamese mass. The Vietnamese choir come to the English mass. We go, yeah, so we, mm. we, we started adding um, uh, symbols in, in the church that represented the people that were there. So uh, our parish was traditionally German and Irish. So it's Immaculate Heart of Mary. So we had a huge statue of Mary. Then on either side, St. Boniface and St. Patrick that, that showed the, the German and uh, Irish roots of the parish. Mm-hmm. But then we also put Our Lady of Lavang. Mm. In their beautiful statue mm-hmm. of Our Lady in Vietnamese garb holding Jesus, you know, Vietnamese, absolutely gorgeous statue. We also put, say, Martin de Porres in there. Uh, there we go. We say Kateri Tetequitha in there. We put some icons, Moses the Black. We put, so, so now the church was looking like the people that were worshiping there. There you go. You know, so what about say and, and this is a real example. I was I just got a call from someone to speak at a parish uh and they said our parish, th- their words, country club parish, <laughs> right? No people of color anywhere. I said, why don't you in- invite the, uh, the the people from the black parish or the Hispanic parish down the street to come to come to your parish first? We'll have a potluck, you know. Once COVID is over, you know, <laughs> everybody share food and, and culture, and then have those people get up and share their experience of what it's like to be Catholic. What what is like coming to this country? What is like the practice of Catholic faith? In, in, in this in this community, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It happens. So now you're you're not seeing as oh that's that black church down the street. They, these are people that are 
with families that are working uh, that you know let's get to know them let's get to appreciate them mm-hmm. you know um but even though you're at saint catherine of siena church you could put pictures of different multicolored saints up there and yeah. you know so people say oh who's that you know oh okay you know and just like we sometimes we take these images from the media and you know uh, like it or not we, we take some of those negative impressions that we see on uh, how minorities are portrayed and we say well that's just normal you know um we can if prejudice is learned we can unlearn it yeah yeah <laughs> we, we can put a different spin on it yeah so instead of um you know this particular caricature we could look at a saint yeah, you know, and say yes that that that's the example to strive for. Of uh, uh, so, even though you're in a uh, a white parish or even a black parish, you could put different multicolors. It applies to any any parish. We we need we need to make our parishes look more like the universal church. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was going to bring up that point. Yeah, we are the universal church. And to be quite honest, I mean, both you and I know this uh, very very um, real in our lives that you know our our Catholic family is the fa- is our family. Right. I mean, we obviously have our blood related family. We love them. We pray for them, but we don't always see eye to eye. Well, the same thing goes for our Catholic family, but the Catholic family were rooted in Christ. And I think we need to, I mean, anybody who's been to World Youth Day or experienced the universal church traveling on pilgrimages, you see the universal church. Yes. You see all languages, all colors, all sizes, but all worshiping one God. And I think that's a beauty about being Catholic. And, you know, so Deacon, I think uh, if, if we, kind of round this out in this this episode, I think you gave some really great examples of, for one, just clarifying and, and distinguishing between the real issue at hand and not allowing for Twitter or whatever it is your platform is to, to influence or sway you um, to respond, in, for one, in a way that's, that's not really going to resolve the issue um, and is playing more on the emotional aspect of this, um, but really seeking on the response that is Christ-like the response that we as Catholics need to um, really seek after. And that's really to seek to understand. And that's really to seek to reconcile that it really is to seek to love as God loves. Yes. So yeah. any last parting words, Deacon, as we wrap yeah, up this? I, I think the way to kind of pull this all together is to think about the, um, uh, the, the parable of the, um, uh, uh, of the good Samaritan. You know, um, first of all, that guy was mugged the side of the road. Anybody from hood like oh, I can I can relate to that. <laughs> you know, but actually along that route, that that would have been normal. That, that people knew that was dangerous, you get mugged. So when Jesus tells her, people are like, Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that that road, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what happened? A uh, Jewish person got mugged, uh, the priest walked by, the Levite walked by, his brothers, but then this stranger walks by, a Samaritan, who they're supposed to hate, it was Samaritan who took him and cared for him and paid for his expenses. And, um, and, and in fact, when Jesus said, who was the one that showed mercy? The guy couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed, who was the one who, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even, he couldn't even bring it out of his mouth to say the word Samaritan. And, you know, when we look at that story and we say, Oh, I would have, if that was me, I would have helped the guy. Really? Mm. What if the guy lying on the side of the road, was the guy who molested you when you were a kid mm. or who raped you when you were in college or who uh, drove drunk and killed your wife? What if it was, what, uh, oh, uh, 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 see? Now, the anger and hatred we feel would be palpable, but Jesus calls us to love. He calls us to mercy. He, he gives us no other options and makes no exceptions. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I would say is the lesson is 
we, when it comes to issues of race, we must be the Samaritan. Amen. Amen to that. So I hope uh, for all of our listeners out there, this was helpful, especially during a time where um, you got a lot of voices out there blaring really loud um, and perhaps causing more hurt than uh, help and more division than uh, really unifying us as a human race and so deacon always appreciate hanging with you definitely appreciate hanging with you in studio in uh in my hometown and uh looking forward to getting together again but as usual we ask for your uh blessing upon us and all the listeners sure may almighty god bless you and keep you the father and the son and the holy spirit amen, amen. so we'll see you next time y'all and we hope that this was helpful to you being a light to the world Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sons of Thunder with the dynamic deacon and the man on fire. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe and find out more at deaconharold.com and johnsablon.com. God's peace.